Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. My guest today is a significant threat to the globalist vision of our financial future. This vision is something that progressives have only been able to dream about in the past. But technology has caught up to their wildest fantasies of control. They envision a near-term future in which the greatest means of control over you, your money, can be turned on and off like a tap. When your money is fully digitized under government control, every transaction, no matter how small it will be, will be monitored and logged. And if you say the wrong thing, support the wrong cause, associate with the wrong person or group, you will be brought back in line when the access to your own money is denied. My guest is a threat to this progressive globalist design because he dares to believe in the fundamental American view that individual freedom is a good thing. He has this crazy notion that you should be able to control your own money, that money in a way is speech. He is a threat to their design because his whole career has been devoted to building a way to maintain financial freedom in the face of governments drunk on power and control. He believes the best way to do this is Bitcoin. To that end, he founded TFTC.io, a media company focused on Bitcoin and freedom in the digital age. He's a partner at 1031, a leading investment platform focused exclusively on investing in the Bitcoin ecosystem. He is also the host of Tales from the Crypt and the co-host of Rabbit Hole Recap, both podcasts about what else? Bitcoin. In a world barreling towards more centralized financial control, all of this work in Bitcoin makes Marty Bent a radical. And as you'll hear... He's just fine with that. Today, please welcome my podcast guest, Marty Bent. We begin in just a minute. First, let me ask you, how long did you dream about owning a home before you bought one? Did you spend time in your 20s thinking about what it would be like to have a place of your own with your own mailbox and your name on it? Did you see your future kids playing in the yard, jumping on the trampoline or running around laughing and screaming at each other? Well... Did it ever begin uh, with the imagining of how much everything was going to cost? Probably not. Life is not cheap and the good uh, cheap and the good life costs even more sometimes. That's why it's good to find areas where you can save more money, put more back. American Financing is here to help you do exactly that. Whether it's a refinance of your mortgage at a lower interest rate or a consolidation loan to get out from under those things like high interest credit card bills, which are going higher and higher, or maybe some other uh, type of loan entirely. American Financing is here, and they're there for you. They've been working for you and not the bank for over 20 years, and their family-owned business style is not going to only make you feel at home. You'll save money. 
So call American Financing, 800-906-2440, 800-906-2440, or go to AmericanFinancing.net. Welcome, Marty. Glad to be here, Glenn. Thank yeah. you for having me. You bet. You bet. Um, I want to start with news of the day, the, the FTX scandal mm-hmm. um i mean I, I don't know anything about them just looking at the ceo of the hedge fund who looks like she's about 12 and sounds <laughs> like she's 12 and and him uh wow these don't these people don't instill confidence but they people loved them and a lot of really smart people got behind them yeah it's astonishing uh Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, as he's commonly referred to, has become this character, yeah. uh, a wonderkind that is going to be the next trillionaire. Uh, and it seems that he was just running a big fraud, a Ponzi scheme, in the literal sense, right. for, for many years. I've been uh, suspicious of SBF and FTX specifically for a bit over a year now their whole origin story is a bit odd and that starts with alameda the the trading company right and then ftx spun out of that so the trading company is like a hedge fund right yes okay so it's a hedge fund and his girlfriend runs the hedge i mean it's just like all kinds of flares go up immediately wait your girlfriend is running that one mm-hmm. um and they ran into trouble right and took bitcoins from ftx uh they didn't take bitcoins what they took so in a big theme in the broader cryptocurrency space particularly the exchange world is these exchanges will launch what they call an exchange token binance has bnb uh, ftx has ftt which was ftx token uh, and the idea behind these exchange tokens, I think it's a bit scammy. It doesn't really make sense from first principles. But the idea is uh, they pre-mine a token. Um, I believe in FTT's case, a couple hundred million of these FTT tokens. And what they'll do is they'll release that to their users. And their users can buy that token and use it as a piece of equity in the exchange overall, getting some revenues from the trading revenues as well. Wow, that sounds like a scam. Um, yes, it is a massive scam in my opinion. But the mechanics of these exchange tokens a lot of the time is they'll pre-mine them and they'll only uh, release a certain amount to market to freely float and then they'll hold the rest. So they're able to inflate the value mm-hmm. of those tokens pretty easily with some spoof trading. And it seems like that is what FTX did uh, is they launched this FTT token and then they kept a lot off market, gave a lot to Alameda, and then Alameda was using that token as collateral to get out loans of better money, like dollars and Bitcoin. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> that just, I, I know there's, you know, it's an unregulated space, but that seems like just common sense. Yes. And would be regulated anyplace else, wouldn't, would it not? Yeah, it's, it's an overt unregistered security. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, they were playing money, uh, playing games with tokens. He's supposedly, uh, you know, some philanthropist that really do buy into any of that. No, I I mean, I, I don't 
Dis- I, I don't not believe that he believes he's a philanthropist, but um, from what I understand, he's very heavily influenced by the effective altruism movement headed by William McCaskill. Out of Which Oxford. is what? Uh, it's this. It's an extension of utilitarianism, and <laughs> these people believe that uh, they are the smartest people on the planet, and they can identify where humanity has the most pressing needs and. The whole idea of effective altruism is to get as rich as possible, identify uh, the problems that exist that they believe are most pressing, and then allocate as much capital there. Uh, but when you dig into the underlying philosophy and some of the trade-offs they're, they're willing to make, it does uh, begin to get a bit evil. Ends justify the means? Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, uh, he was a huge donor, promised a billion dollars to mm-hmm. the Democrats. Uh, if Trump was going to win, he was supposed to donate, I don't remember, 300 million this cycle. And then the next cycle, he would donate the rest. Obviously, never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember 30 million, 30. Yeah, 30 million, right? Or billion. I remember when 30. remember when a million used to be a lot of money. Soon <laughs> we're going to be saying trillions. Yeah, in this I context. know. I know. So he donated that money. Um Everybody was with him. Um, Was this another hedge? I wouldn't be surprised. Um, There's an odd history, not only with Sam and the Democratic Party and Gary Gensler. uh, And it seems like for the last year, two years, he's been trying to buddy up with people in D.C. to develop a regulatory moat for FTX and what he's doing and potentially um, get through some loopholes as is um, coming to the fore, particularly with Gary Gensler. Uh, but yes, it seems that like he is trying to use his money or his user's money to, to get influence in DC to protect himself. And that's one of the big things of the last year he's really been posturing like hey we need to regulate this space and only exchanges like mine should be able to operate do you have any idea on his on his ledger i think it it just said trump uh trump to lose. stop trump or trump to lose yes. what, what is that do you know i don't know for certain uh however ftx uh, during the 2020 election the lead up to that election they launched a prediction market for the election where you could bet on the outcome of the election and the uh basically you, you vote trump win tr- trump lose or biden win biden lose and you, you'd place your bets there and those, those were the names of the tokens mm. so when it comes to this trump to lose position is a bit odd because it seems like he may potentially we don't know for sure but he may be developing that position before the 2024 election wow. even begins wow um uh, when I see somebody want their company to be regulated, I'm immediately suspicious. Mm-hmm. I have never, and I'm an entrepreneur, I've never at any time said, you know, it would be really great is if we could get more government regulation in our building. That's insane. He was actually wanting to centralize mm-hmm. Bitcoin and uh, and its its uh usage right yes well actually which is interesting here uh sbf sam is not a fan of bitcoin so he wanted what he really cared about was regulating the casino again i think there needs to be a clear distinction between bitcoin 
in the rest of the cryptocurrency space. I, okay. I, I truly believe Bitcoin is the signal and all the altcoins uh, are simply forms of scenerage that these people use to gamble and try to develop war chest. Uh, basically. Explain for people who don't know the difference between the altcoins and Bitcoin. Uh, many differences. Uh, I guess we'll start from first principles. I would argue that Bitcoin, it had somewhat of an immaculate uh, inception where it's not going to be able to be replicated. So once Bitcoin was launched, that was a pretty incredible feat that Satoshi Nakamoto brought to the world. Uh, and then as Bitcoin became popular, people saw, hey, Bitcoin's um, gaining in value. Maybe we should launch our own. It is open source code, we can fork mm -hmm. the code and create our own tokens. Um, I would argue that Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency we're going to have a pure launch and it actually be like a free market development. Everything after that has a lot of attention. People know when it's going to be launched and they can essentially game when uh, the system, when that coin is launched. Mm. But even going from there, if these... If Bitcoin is going to be successful, if any other cryptocurrency that's claiming to be the next Bitcoin is going to be successful, they have to be sufficiently decentralized at the base layer. And it is glaringly obvious to me that there is no altcoin that compares to Bitcoin in terms of decentralization. The amount of individuals who are running the software, verifying transactions on their own, not depending on a third party, the amount of mining computers that are spread geographically throughout the planet, uh, the amount of wallet software that's been developed uh, in the space really sets Bitcoin apart from these alternative currencies. But these altcoins, what uh, people promise is, hey, we're going to give you the next Bitcoin. But time and time again, through these cycles throughout the decade, they just turn out to be pump and dumps. So um, he was he was for the altcoins. Yes. So he, he runs an exchange that really makes most of their money by allowing people to speculate on these alternative currencies. They can speculate on Bitcoin as well, but the majority of his revenues are probably driven by speculation on, on these different cryptocurrencies. So tell me, like, tell me the difference between them and like Coinbase. Uh, not much other than Coinbase is probably not, uh, I wouldn't, even though I'm not the biggest fan of Coinbase, I don't think Brian Armstrong and team are running like an overt Ponzi scheme. <laughs> right. Okay. That's good to know. Yes. That's good to know. Is there anybody that you can trust in that space? Yes, uh, I do think so. So uh, Cash App is uh, an app that many people have. They offer Bitcoin only. There's an exchange, River.com. Uh, River is a Bitcoin only exchange. So I typically recommend that people only interact with these exchanges that have a, a pure focus on Bitcoin. Why? Uh, because I think, again, I think that's where They're the signal gaming. is. And I, I actually, honestly, uh, I believe Bitcoin is an imperative as we transition into the digital age. Uh, we get the CBDC world where we get a free market money where people are not subjected to the uh, digital panopticon. Uh, I think the altcoins are distractions. And again, going back to first principles, Bitcoin has the best chance of ensuring that we have freedom in the digital age, particularly around a monetary network. So before we get into all of that, um, things like um, FTX going down, that just that just makes the case of the government so <laughs> much stronger with anybody who's not paying attention. Yes. Right. Yes. It's it's a it's a great shame, but it also highlights something that Bitcoiners have been opining on for years, which is Bitcoin 
since it's a digital bearer instrument, it's like cash in the digital world. You can hold it. You can possess it. Uh, there's a there's a very famous line in, in Bitcoin circles, which is not your keys, not your coins. So if, if you're not possessing uh, your Bitcoin, if you're not downloading a wallet and actually taking it off an exchange and taking it into your possession, you are beholden to the whims of that exchange that right. you're trusting. You essentially have an IOU when you hold it on an no, exchange. I, 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 I don't trust my, I could just see myself having, being that guy who like had all his Bitcoins and they cold storage and took it out and he puts it and he can't remember his keys. And <laughs> I mean, that's just me all over. Well, I, I get that. And that's uh, a very common sort fear. of response to this and fear, but I would argue practice makes perfect. This is a, a new way of interacting with money. And what I recommend is people start small. You buy on an exchange or maybe you have a friend that will give you uh, Bitcoin after going to dinner. You pay for the bill and he'll pay you in Bitcoin to, to make up for it. You download a wallet and you practice receiving, sending and then backing it up. Um, and then two other points is the user experience around this process of, of receiving and securing Bitcoin has gotten significantly better over the years. And I think it will continue to get much easier as we move forward and more developers and designers come to make it easier for your average day or your everyday person. Uh, and then number two, there's other services that you can use where um, you do what's called collaborative custody. So there's a company here in texas called unchained capital and via bitcoin you can set up a condition to spend bitcoin where it says hey i can't move this bitcoin unless i have uh two signatures out of these possible three signatures and so what this allows you to do is to engage with a company like unchained where you can set up a uh, basically conditional wallet that says hey i can't move this bitcoin unless i have two or three signatures you hold two wallets that will allow you to sign two of the signatures and Unchained holds one. Uh, in this model, you don't have all the risk on yourself, but you also do have certainty that your Bitcoin is where you think it is. Right. Because that's the problem. We, I mean, that's what makes it fiat if we don't know. We don't know where they go. I, I, I'm convinced there's no gold in Fort Knox. Oh, no. I mean, I'm sure it's all, you know, split between all of the countries and, be, and been, you know, uh, rehypothecated a million different times to different countries. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the big fear and the big advantage of Bitcoin. If you have it, um, you, and you know where it is, you know, it's value. You, you know, it's not being sold over and over and over again and leveraged mm -hmm. against something else, which would provide a much more stable economy. Yes. I mean, this goes back to FTX. This is exactly what they were doing. Their users thought that they were holding their Bitcoin, but it turns out they're rehypothecating it to their trading arm that was losing it on crazy leveraged bets. But okay. there's ways, again, with Bitcoin's native properties that you can ensure that your Bitcoin is not being rehypothecated. So let, let's talk about, um, I mean, I remember uh, I went to a Catholic school growing up and we studied the end times and... <laughs> They talked about the, you know, the mark of the beast where you won't be able to buy groceries or do anything. You won't be able to travel unless, you know, that little chip that's in your hand, mm -hmm. you know, is somehow or another scanned before we even had scanners. Uh, and everything I, I look at what's coming between ESG mm -hmm. and central bank digital currency. 
I'm not saying it is the mark of the beast, but I'm not not saying that either. That is total and complete control of your life. Mm-hmm. And, right. And they they openly admit it. I'm not sure if you've seen the clip from Augustine Karstens, who's the head of the Bank of International Settlements, which many people think is the uh, the biggest boss of all the banking institutions in the world. He's overtly come out and said that we want a central, uh, central bank digital currency because it will allow us to have complete control over people's money. We can drop airdrop money into their accounts. We can take money away. We can institute negative interest rates. We can tell them... Yeah, you can only spend this money at this place within this amount of time. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. So that's really what they mean when they say you'll own nothing because you won't really own it. They no. can take it. No, and that's, that's why I'm, again, so passionate about Bitcoin because you can truly own it. And the, the prospects of it not existing, uh, the prospects of the future in a world in which Bitcoin doesn't exist are very gloomy. When the alarm clock goes off in the morning... You open your eyes and the first thing you think about is pain. It used to be for me. I'm going to face another day of this. For years, I suffered from debilitating uh, pain in my hands yesterday because it turned so cold here. Um, I had the same pain and I almost couldn't do the show because all I could think about was the pain. Um, I had stopped taking my relief factor a few weeks before because I'm feeling pretty good. I uh, grabbed the relief factor and really by the... By noon, by the time I took the second dose, I was feeling much, much better. Please try Relief Factor. It's not a drug. It was developed by doctors to try to fight inflammation. Try it today. See if you can't get out of pain and get your life back. Three-week quick start is nineteen ninety-five. Just try it. Nineteen ninety-five relieffactor.com or call eight hundred for relief. Relieffactor.com. Before we get into the the alternative so set the stage of what has to happen for a uh, a central bank digital currency, a CBDC. What? How close are we to that? And and what has to happen? And then and then I want you to take me through. How do you stop that? <sighs> OK, uh, what has that? Well, today there was just an announcement in a consortium of commercial banks here in the United States are going to do a trial run with the federal reserve for a, for a digital dollar. I'm not sure if you saw that, but it was literally a couple of hours ago that was announced. Uh, what needs to happen? They need to develop the technical prowess to create the, the actual apps that will, um, basically get this into the hands of everyday American citizens, uh, which, uh, looking at the history of the government, they're not very tech savvy. So yeah. we may have time on our side in that regard. <laughs> right. But, one only has to look to China and their social credit scoring system. It is possible. They have done it. Um, and so uh, essentially all they need to do is get a consumer app. It doesn't even need to be a consumer app. It can, uh, it can They can integrate with other apps like Twitter or WhatsApp, whatever it may be. They, they essentially just need to turn on a switch at the Federal Reserve where the Federal Reserve starts handling individual accounts instead yeah. of federal reserve that's the, the are you familiar with the hamilton project up in boston uh, i don't i, don't I think so. it was the the central bank boston um or central uh, or federal reserve boston um was uh, doing a test of something called something they called the hamilton project it was uh, a central bank coin uh, and they were testing it with mit hmm. they say it was ready and it 
it will require that you don't have a bank account at a regular bank anymore. Your bank is the Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hey, come get your come get your Bitcoin because you can spend it now yeah. and turn in your dollars and your dollars are worth a dollar today. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of weeks down the road, they might be worth 70 cents and then they're worth nothing. Yeah. Or you can't access them because you said something wrong on Twitter. That's, yeah. It, it, so that is the model, the federal reserve will essentially cut out the commercial banking system and there's some interesting theories about what's going on with uh, overarching fed policy uh, and and why it has been as aggressive as it is many people think it's a, a signal from the commercial bank saying hey we don't want the cbdc world um hmm. but yeah essentially if the cbdc does become uh, a thing and it does become widespread it uh, the Federal Reserve will have complete control over everybody's money. It'll be digital dollars, um, but those dollars will um, are trackable one hundred percent. Oh yes, and and you know if I remember um, during the energy crisis in the nineteen seventies, if your license plate was odd numbered, you could only buy you know gas on mm-hmm. these days. This is individuals. Yes. You're not essential, so you don't get to buy gas. Oh. And you you are only going to be allowed to go here so you can buy just that amount of gas. Hmm. I mean, it's 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 down to the individual level, which yeah. we saw that you had two stakes last week. That's too many. That's too much carbon emissions. You're not going to be able to buy gas this week. That's how granular they can get with this um, when it comes back to vaccines. I mean, they tried to roll it out with yeah. the vaccine passports. I think that was botched a bit, but uh that was that was, I believe that was an attempt by them to begin to seed this type of uh, government run right. app into the populace. So when you I'm sure you saw the black mirror with the <laughs> social credit score. I remember when I I first saw that I knew what was going on in China. And I'm like, don't 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 laugh. They're they're trying to put this together in China at the time. And now it is here through ESG. And I don't know if you saw, but uh, in the uh, news, I think it came out yesterday. We talked about it this morning on the show. Um, the World Bank is moving into that. And uh, Freddie and Fanny are, <laughs> are now moving into the S part. And they say they'll they'll have another 37 million people that will be able to buy a house because we won't just look at your score, your credit score. Hmm. There's going to be a score on other things not defined other things you can do that don't have anything to do with money or savings or ownership that will raise a score for you and we'll start to have 37 million new homeowners which will drive the price of everything through the roof mm-hmm. um and and, and control and control, oh, not only control, it's just self-censorship. Yeah, control via self-censorship and forcing unnatural actions on people. Or maybe they'll go out there. With, like, this is what we see in China. People get scored on uh, how good of a neighbor they are. And you'll find people going out of their way to just knock up on people's doors and say nice things so that their social credit score goes up. It's really, it's exactly like the Black Mirror Black episode Mirror. you brought up. Yeah. So what has to happen for it not to go that way? <sighs> I mean, I think first things first, people need to get vocal, very vocal about it, which I'm happy that you are and many others 
have been is saying, hey, this is a line in the sand that we're not going to cross. This is anti-American. This is look how far along we are on ESG. Mm -hmm. And they're still saying it's a conspiracy theory, even though Vantage score, you can go to their website and you can see it now in practice. Mm -hmm. The E and the S, not the G yet. I mean, that is. It's scary, but I actually think ESG is taking a big blow this year, particularly with the yes. European energy crisis. Yes. Um, so Germany obviously moved first uh, with their attempts to go to <laughs> zero carbon, uh, net zero, and they decommissioned a bunch of reliable natural gas, coal, and nuclear power plants in favor of wind and solar. And there's a good argument to be made that uh, what's going on over in Ukraine it's only possible because Germany was in such a position of weakness because of their energy policy. Right. I think many people are waking up to that. And then uh, I, I do think people are beginning to get very fed up with the woke capitalism that exists in our world today as well. And um, I do think ESG has taken a blow. And I think um, as people in the media are talking to family members and friends, we need to really lean in to the winds that that freedom has gotten this year and because the overt hypocrisy and overt insanity of esg is being acutely highlighted this last 12 months um uh and then bitcoin is the other way to fix it too That's so people speak out and say we don't want that and uh and bitcoin in the world where the central government you know, it, 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 it's absolutely destined to happen if there's an economic collapse. Mm -hmm. You just reset everything. You close the banks and then you say new currency and it's all digital. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is on the horizon for sure. Um, what happens in that situation with Bitcoin? How can you how would you use it or how could it keep you free? Yeah, well, uh, luckily, Bitcoin's a globally distributed network, so individuals around the world are holding a state of the ledger and of the consensus rules. Um, and so, I mean, Bitcoin, as long as people had internet access, would operate as as advertised, as as designed, um, and it runs parallel to the incumbent system. So if they crash the incumbent financial system, flip the switch on the banks one day, Bitcoin would be perfectly fine. It's running on a completely different network uh, that is run by individuals. And can it be tracked? Uh, there's nuance here. I mean, so Bitcoin um, can be tracked. So the way the ledger works, you have um, these outputs that can be tracked through the ledger, but unless you attach uh, like personal identifying information to that that uh, transaction output, uh, it, you can transact in what's known as a pseudonymous way, where the network has no idea who you are. Uh, the only way people can track you on the network is that they have uh, a connector between your personal information and a particular output that you associated with that. So an example of that is buying on a centralized exchange where you have to do the KYC AML requirements where you have to give them your name, your address, uh -huh. you buy Bitcoin there. And then if you send it to a personal wallet, the exchange essentially assumes like, Hey, I'm going to assume that this address on the network is associated with the information they gave us when they signed up. Crap. Um, so what, wait, cause I, I, I have it in Coinbase. So how would I get it out without marking? 
So there are uh, there are there are tools uh, that allow you to basically uh, disconnect your your future spending of Bitcoin from uh, the historical spending. Uh, these are collaborative transaction tools known as coin joins. Uh, there's companies like Samurai, uh, which run uh, a coin join coordinator called Whirlpool. There's um, uh, you have to be uh, no, no offense. Yes, but you have to be either your age or a total incomplete geek. <laughs> well, I'll make it, I'll make it even easier. The okay. best way to do that is to work for Bitcoin. It is to spin up an address or spin up a wallet and sell services for Bitcoin directly to somebody who's not going to ask you for your information. Um, so for my website, uh, it's connected to a wallet that I control. Um, when somebody wants to pay me, they spin up an invoice and that invoice is created for my computer, uh, with an address that only I know. Um, so in that instance, only the person who pays me and I know that I control that address. And the government hates that because you could wildly understate your income. <laughs> Potentially. Yes. <laughs> I'm not that you do. I no, would no, be horrified if you, <laughs> if you did. We are above board. Yeah. Okay, good news and bad news for you. And then we get right back to the podcast. Um, first, bad news. Looks like beef prices are probably going to increase by another 20% early next year. Isn't that great? Nothing like the largest increase in meat prices in U.S. history to cheer you up right before the holidays. Well, Here's the good news. Good Ranchers is allowing you to lock in your price on all the meat you buy this November when you subscribe during their Black Friday savings. This is your chance to inflation proof your meat budget. You're going to get $70 of free USDA choice steaks and save an additional $25 on every box when you subscribe. Forget the high prices and the low quality of meat at your grocery store. Treat yourself or someone you love to Good Ranchers, their award-winning service and quality this holiday season. Remember, visit GoodRanchers.com slash Glenn or use the promo code Glenn at checkout to grab their best offer of the year. Black Angus is one of the premier breeds of cattle for high-quality beef. So you don't have a normal Black Friday this year. Have yourself a Black Angus Friday with two free steaks from Good Ranchers. American meat delivered. Can we go through uh, just a couple of uh, a couple of things? Um, who's the guy who started it again? Satoshi Nakamoto. OK, nobody knows where he is, right? Or no. who he is. No, they she nobody knows. OK, has his Bitcoin been touched? No, has uh, has never moved. Is there a possibility he lost his key or forgot his key <laughs> there's many possibilities yeah right he could have lost his key how much how much there's 21 million yes there will only ever be 21 million bitcoin about nine just over 19.2 million have been distributed to the to the network okay today. so it's almost all out mm -hmm. when it's all out then bitcoin mining stops right no it does not um okay so, explain explain bitcoin mining uh, so bitcoin mining uh essentially you have a bunch of individuals around the world who run these very specialized computers and they're racing uh to find a special hash that allows them to add a block of transactions to the ledger um when they do that they get rewarded in bitcoin the miner that adds the the block 
uh, gets rewarded in Bitcoin. And there's two parts of that reward. Uh, the one that you're alluding to that will eventually get us to 21 million Bitcoin is the subsidy. Um, so right now the subsidy per block is 6.25 Bitcoin. And then the other half of that reward is transaction fees. So when you send Bitcoin, a lot of times you'll attach a transaction fee to it because uh, the availability of the amount of transactions that can get into a block is scarce. And so individual users compete to get in their transaction confirmed by attaching a fee to it. So when all 21 million Bitcoin has been dispersed to market, uh, mining will still exist, but the minor revenue will be driven by the fees that are attached to transactions. So is this what they talk about, that it has limited capability for real heavy global traffic? It takes too much energy and it's going to be a lot slower at some point. Is that any of that true? Uh, it's, it's so not every. I told you before we started. <laughs> I, that's I a, have just enough information to make me so you, wildly wrong and dangerous. So you view the protocol layer as a settlement layer, where uh, since there's that scarcity of block space and only so many transactions can be included in each block. Uh, in the future, when Bitcoin is widely adopted, many believe it will become a settlement layer where large transactions are are settled. But what you can do with Bitcoin is lock it up in second layers that allow you to transact instantly uh, and very relatively cheaply without having to wait on a transaction to be uh, confirmed at the protocol layer. So the most famous second layer solution right now is Lightning, uh, the Lightning Network. And via the Lightning Network, you can send um, as small as a hundredth of a penny, as small amount as a hundredth of a penny to thousands of dollars over that. And you don't have to uh, wait for something to happen at, at the protocol layer. Why? Isn't the protocol layer, again, forgive me, isn't... The, <laughs> I'm trying. To. It's like, you know, it's <laughs> like talking to a golfer, to a guy who's never seen a golf course. Um, in the protocol layer, though, where it is verified mm -hmm. isn't that the key to bitcoin that it is it's it's independently verified mm -hmm. right and so you know the money exists and you know you can verify where it is going mm -hmm. if you don't verify it how do you stop false transactions so with lightning particularly what you do is you lock up um, a bitcoin at the protocol layer and you anchor to that so you point to that um, that amount of Bitcoin that you've you've locked on the Lightning Network, and that is your verification. And you can only move that amount within what is called a channel. So you open up channels with counterparties, each putting up some Bitcoin that they want to transact freely uh, and cheaply and quickly. Uh, and they always have the verified uh, transaction output that they can point to. Um, and if that's not there, they can't operate or spend and receive on the network. So isn't... Again, I'm so sorry, man. I apologize. Into this the whole weeds. thing is just going to be a bloodbath, ugly. <laughs> um, but isn't Ethereum? Doesn't Ethereum have? I thought that's where the Lightning Network came from. Aren't they doing these other coins are being used? I guess as a backbone, a spine for something else. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Ethereum uh, marketed itself out of the gate as the world computer. Um, so Bitcoin, comparing Bitcoin to Ethereum, Bitcoin is, is slow, dumb, and stupid. It only does a few things, but it does them very well. And it does them in a very distributed and robust manner. Ethereum saw what Bitcoin was doing and said, hey, 
we want to do more. We want to do complex script scriptability. We want to make all these applications. We want to uh, make all these other networks using the Ethereum network, um, which I have done successfully. But in doing so, they made a big trade-off, which is to do all that, it's computationally expensive. It takes a lot of data. And so what we've seen over the last six years since Ethereum launched is the amount of data that is associated with that network has gotten so large that it is nearly impossible for individuals like you and me to run uh, our own nodes at home to make sure that the network is distributed. So while Ethereum and similar networks can do all that cool stuff, at the end of the day, it's all for naught because they're completely centralized. And if the state wanted to come in and flip a switch and say, hey, you guys can't do this anymore, it's becoming relatively trivial for that to happen. Whereas with Bitcoin, you'd have to go around the world find all the individuals who are running nodes and physically have them unplugged. Explain what a node is. So a node is essentially uh, a, a computer that you run that has the rules of Bitcoin that allows you to verify that other participants are, are acting within the rules of Bitcoin. So um, uh, you'd have to shut down the entire internet, wouldn't you? Because you couldn't find the nodes. No. Or can you? No. you? no, I mean you can run them behind Tor VPN, so right, okay. it's hard to find. Um, and I think that is the best thing about Bitcoin. Myself is it it it's not going away. No. And do you know with um, even quantum computing, can it <laughs> open? I mean, because the quantum computing, we are so close to being able to hack into anything. Mm-hmm. Um, is this going to change the underlying uh, uh, technology of Bitcoin? Uh, there's been a long, ongoing debate about quantum, uh, and people, particularly the protocol engineers working on Bitcoin, seem to think that if quantum did come, there are certain cryptographic libraries that can be ported in to make it quantum resistant. Um, but many of them would also say uh, they don't think it's as close as many others think it is. Okay, that's good news. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, uh, the long-term, I mean, I invested in Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, Mark Andreessen said to me just before he opened up, uh, Coinbase, mm-hmm. he said, do you know much about Bitcoin? I said, no. And he said, you should take 10 grand and just invest in Bitcoin. And uh, I remember leaving his office and my wife said, what, what is the Bitcoin thing? And I said, I don't know. I've looked into it. I, I don't understand it at all. And, uh, and Warren Buffett said, if you don't <laughs> understand it, you shouldn't invest in it. And I, it was a fraction of a penny at the time. I, I wouldn't be here at this table if I had done that. Um, uh, but, you know, when I did buy it, uh, my wife and I just said, let's just take money that you know, we're fine losing mm-hmm. and just put it in and then just hold it because who knows? It was the closest thing I could think of as what it would be like if you would have invested with Alexander Graham Bell. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a game changing uh, idea and it doesn't come very often. Do you think it still has the future with all the stuff that's going on with the government now? Do you still think it has the future of a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars a coin uh yes certainly i mean i'm not going to try and predict when that will happen yeah, but yeah. i think here's what i'm here's what i'm wondering because i keep watching it go down and 
I, I mean, we've made a pact where we weren't going to sell any of it. Just hold it. Um, and uh, as I'm watching it go down and I see what the government is doing, you could see a future where it's just over or not. I don't think so. No. Why? Uh, there's too many. Because Bitcoin provides a step function improvement on utility of money from an asset perspective where it's very scarce. It's better money than the dollar, which is being mm-hmm. inflated away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better money than the Bolivar. It's better money than pesos. So uh, from the aspects of a monetary good, it's just objectively superior in terms of the qualities. It's scarcer, more saleable, more divisible. Uh, you can verify it very easily. Um, so it's better there. And then the network, the peer to peer network, uh, allows you to transact uh, directly with the counterpart. So a, l- a lot of the use cases that we've seen to date in Bitcoin uh, happen with remittances in emerging markets, a lot of emerging markets that are sanctioned from the U.S., like Venezuela, Cuba, uh, mm-hmm. Iran, other areas where you have individuals who uh, who don't really like their government either, but they're they are uh they are punished because we have this just overarching sanctions that that really restrict them from sending money back to their family members bitcoin has allowed them to do that for the last 13 years and the activity in that particular use case with remittances has never gone away it's only increased and so that inherent utility uh in one use case being being able to send money back home to family members isn't going away and it is bitcoin is the only network that allows these people to do that and then how come um uh how come it didn't take off like when venezuela i mean you would that was the perfect case mm-hmm. for bitcoin to come in and just say yeah forget the fiat we're going here but why didn't it take off it's so new yeah uh, it's like you like you said this is like an alexander graham bell like uh, invention uh, it's so foreign to individuals all across the world. It's a new monetary good and new monetary goods just don't show up once a decade, once every year, once, right. once every half century. They happen once every millennia, uh, arguably. And so well, we're in the early, early stage of Bitcoin where humanity is simply getting comfortable with what it is, how it works, how individuals can interact with it. And that's one thing I tell people is everybody says hey how come bitcoin's not if it is the best money if it does have the best properties how come not everybody's using it well i go and go back and say you don't you don't monetize a new monetary good over the course of a decade right it's probably going to take longer than that and during its monetization phase you're going to see a lot of price volatility which scares people and that volatility will scare people but uh, if you pay attention for long enough you'll see that that volatility leads up into the right and with every boom and bust what you see is is more people um uh, basically setting the floor after after every bust so more and more people are beginning to realize the, the inherent fundamental value and utility that it provides during all these cycles i do think at some point in the future there will be a tipping point where everybody realizes like oh this isn't going away and right. this is better we just have, I have to tell that. you i mean the the central banks over in Asia and Russia, they're all buying gold, mm-hmm. all of them, tons and tons. We're selling ours. I mean, that seems brilliant. Um, if, if I were the president, I would have taken what money we have and said, gold, Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and, and let the chips fall where they may. But I wouldn't want centralized control. Is there any country 
that is that's a that's a decent sized you know not a not a rebel country uh is there any good country that is looking at bitcoin and saying we're putting our bet here we're going to use bitcoin as our currency not yet um not yet i I think what you're seeing it's actually more grassroots than that you're seeing cities like there's a city in switzerland luongo they've adopted a bitcoin standard where they're accepting Bitcoin uh, at all the stores there. Obviously, mm. El Salvador has made Bitcoin legal tender, and they're trying to integrate it into their economy. But I really don't. Uh, no, I don't think that's going to happen. Nor do I think that's wise for a state to just say, "Hey, we're going to buy Bitcoin." Uh, me Why? personally, because uh, I I do think it's it's got to be an emergent grassroots movement where individuals decide. It's not thrust on them, um, and I think that'll actually be better for the long-term viability of Bitcoin, uh, Mm -hmm. where you have individuals uh, getting access to it, whether they're buying it or accepting it for goods and services. Uh, In my mind, that's a much better path. And that actually gives agencies to the individual. The individual shouldn't have to wait for the state to say, all right, we're going to do this. You can do it today. Unfortunately, a lot of people are going to, they're going to wait for, you know, Mm because it's, I mean, they don't understand. It's, it's, it's like everything today. I think it's going to come down to, a photo finish on who gets there first is the information about slavery mm-hmm. for the rest of you and your family's lifetimes as far as you can see does that get to the finish line before hey there's a collapse you've got to take this because we're rewriting absolutely everything and everybody's starving and so you got to go there i mean it's 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 going to be close it's going to be very close and that, again, that's why I'm so passionate about it. That's why I run the podcasts I do. That's why I work at the venture firm. I'm a partner at a venture firm where we're investing in Bitcoin infrastructure. Again, I, I think it's imperative and I'm doing my best personally to build out this network because, again, the, the, the prospects of the alternative are extremely scary. And people don't like to use the word, but it will be digital slavery. It will be. Yeah. It will be. Um, I mean... Uh, I, when I used to run the blaze, um, mainly into the ground, but when I, <laughs> when I ran it, uh, I was all for Bitcoin. I was like, let's be the first to take it. Let's, let's go. Um, but what is the adoption rate? Cause if we're forward thinking, you know, back then and we wouldn't do it, what is the adoption rate for companies? Are they, when, when will we see this at, your grocery store or you know you know big stores uh i think relatively soon so there's a company strike that has entered a partnership with ncr which is one of the biggest point of sales right companies uh in the united States or in the world and um they're working on partnerships with whole foods wendy's walmart and so hopefully within the next year you'll have the opportunity to go spend bitcoin over the lightning network at these uh retailers um and then on top of that obviously jack dorsey uh with block and square he's been a very uh forward-thinking bitcoin advocate and seeing what they've done with cash app uh, building out that suite of bitcoin tools in that app i would not be surprised if he begins to enable those tools for uh, individuals who use this point of sale system as well at square um are you concerned for instance like paypal and what they've done or what the banking system has done to kanye um mm-hmm. you you know you'll have 
strike in between the user and the and the uh, and the store you have somebody in between there you concerned at all about no so the way strikes um set up with ncr is is they're essentially providing in a back-end api that will allow them to accept bitcoin um, but from the user's perspective i can go uh, and spend from a wallet that i control where um, the the bitcoin invoice that i'm paying to doesn't really know anything about the the history of my transactions or who i am it just knows that i'm spending a valid bitcoin transaction okay that that's helpful yeah um i got this question from two different producers um and i was surprised because they're both relatively young and they said i i don't know i mean it's just such a renegade thing it definitely is you know that's a sales point for me um but i guess talk about the renegade uh you hear that that people don't want to do it because it's too renegade for them yeah it's scary uh not only is it renegade but it takes a lot of personal responsibility and i think we live in a day and age where mm. personal responsibility isn't um really respected as much as it as it probably should be uh, wow that's fascinating that's why it's so freedom that's so freedom based mm -hmm. you have to have personal responsibility if you don't have personal responsibility you don't have freedom yep yeah, so that's wow. part of it. And then it is renegade. That's why I like it. I mean, I was born in Philadelphia, and I grew up um, going to Catholic school in Philadelphia as well. And um, I always had this um, draw to the Founding Fathers and the story of how this country was founded. And when it comes to Bitcoin, I think <laughs> you think of what the Founding Fathers fought for. It. They would have loved it. It's, it protects private property rights. It protects freedom of speech because you're able to send it to anybody you want to. There's nothing anybody can do about it. It's sound money. Um, it, it checks all the boxes. And considering how far we've gotten from the original vision the founding fathers set forth for our republic, uh, I think Bitcoin uh, is something, if they were alive today, they would be rallying behind as well. When you see companies like um, BlackRock or Goldman Sachs, they're going in opposite direction, and yet they open up these trading desks for um digital currencies mm -hmm. why what are they first of all they the, the first promise from people who are bitcoiners said well once they open it up and once these places start opening trade where you can get big institutions to put their money then it's then it's over then it's everywhere did any of that happen and why are they going blackrock in particular why are they going so hard down a, um, a digital currency road for the government at the same time getting people involved in bitcoin any theory on that they just want to make money and they can make <laughs> <laughs> if people if their clients if their clients want access to bitcoin they, okay. they can make money off the uh, the trading fees they're going to do that but i would recommend people do not buy their Bitcoin exposure uh, via BlackRock, because that's what we'll be buying is exposure. I doubt they'll allow you to actually take possession of your Bitcoin. Yeah. And when you talk about rehypothecation and paper Bitcoin, I wouldn't be surprised if BlackRock is able to. Right. Not again. I'm not calling 
black rotten over ponzi but fdx uh, right. had people buying bitcoin correct but uh, it turns out that they were claiming to have seventy thousand bitcoin but they didn't have any isn't paper gold kind of like a ponzi scheme because there's not enough gold yes. in the world to cover all the paper oh yes definitely um and that's where bitcoin is an improvement on gold where it's so much easier to take possession of and verify that right. you have actual bitcoin whereas taking possession and saying gold to prove that it's actually gold is much takes much more time and is much more expensive what do you say to people that say yeah but it's not gold it's so not it's, it's not gold no. i know but there's but they say that it's it's nothing now this is this is um Warren Buffett and his partner, I just saw him on CNBC and he's like, I don't get it. I wouldn't give a sock for it um, because he says it's nothing. There's no value there, he says. Yeah, well, he's an idiot. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like it's impossible to deny. Again, going back, Bitcoin allows you to do things that are impossible uh, in the traditional financial world. So that in and of itself has value. The, the fact that you can send these transactions that you're not allowed to send on PayPal visa mastercard the fact you can save in a currency that's not being debased that has value compared to the traditional system then on top of that there is a connection between energy usage and bitcoin you mentioned it earlier but you have to do work to actually produce bitcoin and that takes a lot of energy and electricity in the real world it's not just being printed out of thin air there are people taking significant capital and execution risk to to ensure that bitcoin is um producing blocks roughly every 10 minutes that's one of the big arguments so is that it takes so much electricity it's going to use more this is a good thing we need to start rejecting their frame uh, energy love that energy consumption increased energy consumption correlates with human flourishing i saw you had alex epstein on yeah i love him uh yesterday i believe and or mm, last week. yeah last week i think um and i think what he's doing um in terms of trying to change the framing of the the argument is is incredible um and i think that's what beyond bitcoin we need to do as humanity saying hey this this aversion to energy usage increasing is completely asinine it's anti-human it's it's not going to end well for it really us. is but it's the, very anti-human it is but when you dive into bitcoin particularly bitcoin does use a lot of energy but you know, when you look at that at the surface it's like oh no bitcoin bad and I can see how people may think that, but when you dig in, what you'll find, again, going back to individuals taking capital and execution risk, Bitcoin mining is ruthlessly competitive. It's ruthlessly capitalistic, and miners have to produce a profit on their operations. Mm-hmm. And one of the uh, most important input costs on their operation is electricity. So they're highly incentivized to drive that all-in price of electricity down as low as possible. Mm-hmm. And what we're finding over time is that the cheapest energy is energy that would otherwise be wasted or stranded right so bitcoin mining is using a lot of energy uh, and it will continue to use more energy however when you look at it uh, bitcoin miners uh, are are like the scavengers who are finding the inefficiencies throughout the energy sector is it china where they're using it right by the hydroelectric dam they were before they mined uh, they banned it a couple years ago um, and that was only just because they wanted control of their own central bank. Yes. Yeah. Um, but even though they banned it, there are still miners within China um, that are God bless them evading the uh, the bans. Um, you ha- you have a few feelings about the new British Prime Minister. <laughs> uh, I believe you said that uh, you described him as a robotic humanoid. Yes. Why? 
Yeah, you just look at them speak. It's uh, it doesn't seem human the way uh, the way he presents himself in public. It's it reminds me a lot of Justin Trudeau and, and a lot just into down in New Zealand. You, you look at a lot of these people, and you you can tell that they're they're not really talking. They're, they're reading from a script. They're not really talking from like a place of of passion or anything. They're they're humanoids that have been told to go out there and, and read a script about a CBDC or a lockdown or a build back better. And it, it's amazing how I think this is why Donald Trump had to be destroyed um, by, by the progressives all over the world. Cause he's, he, he won't play the game of, I mean, everybody's little system, mm-hmm. you know, he likes the, he's, he's a renegade. Oh yes. Uh, and uh, it's amazing how fast people, uh, change or are replaced now mm-hmm. if you're not towing the line on all of this stuff. Liz Trust lasted, what, 44 days? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's scary. And again, that's another, I don't want to bring this right back to Bitcoin, but that's uh, like Bitcoin, I think, empowers us to get away from these people. Um, didn't, didn't Trudeau shut down uh, people with Bitcoin? Didn't he take he f- went to so this is why it's important to take possession of your own bitcoin and hold your own keys he went to the centralized exchanges the ftx's of canada and said hey don't let these people move their bitcoin out of your central centrally regulated company um whereas any individual who accepted bitcoin to wallets they controlled during those protests was not affected at all so if you if but if you take it out i mean th- this is one of the scary things too you move Bitcoin or you spend Bitcoin. Tax law is a little kind of fuzzy mm-hmm. a little bit and you're and nothing's really been settled and they're just itching to, you know, slam people mm-hmm. uh, for Bitcoin. Um, is that calming down at all? Uh, I know Senator Lummis and I believe Hildebrand are working on a bill that would uh, create a de minimis spend uh, tax exemption. But no, I think the the capital gains uh, tax law, especially as it pertains to Bitcoin, is is very restrictive to to enabling more people spending it here in the United States specifically. Uh, it's a shame. I think it should change. I think people should be able to spend Bitcoin uh, without the burden of, of mm-hmm. having to do capital gains tax. But uh, we do live in a a government that wants complete control over mm-hmm. us under a government that wants complete control. So I don't expect it to happen here anytime soon, but uh, this is why uh, I like to tell people just use Bitcoin as a savings account um, if you need to. And then if you need to spend it desperately, you'll be able to. So if you take it out and you put it in a wallet, you take it out of the system. So you have it. Okay. Are you charged then? No, no, no. No, only when there. you spend it only when you spend it for another good or service and is that all the honor system i believe so yes at this point that's why they hate it so yeah. very much um you said uh recently money energy food healthcare, education governance all are being corrupted by men who think they can predict and control the emergent order the only way out is the misery that exists today uh, is to smash the points of centralization and let the emergent order do its job explain i think that's the overarching problem of of the world today is centralization a few men trying to control very complex systems whether it be 
the Federal Reserve and other central banks controlling money. Mm-hmm. Money should be uh, a free market good that uh, individuals decide on in an emergent form. Government, obviously the federal government here in the United States has gotten to uh, the point at which it's the largest government to ever exist. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of bloat there. And I think the individuals in D.C. trying to make decisions for people spread all across the country are not fully equipped or would ever be uh, it would ever be possible for them to solve the problems of, of everybody throughout the country just from a pure information systems perspective they're so disconnected from the source of information on the ground across the country that they can never make good decisions so well isn't that why they they say they need cbtc's because they we're on modern monetary theory and the only way <laughs> i know it's hard not to laugh um with modern monetary theory their theory is we won't have inflation because we will have the ultimate stop buying this mm-hmm. control if they have a central bank so it's like technology has caught up to their arrogance yes but again they'll be making central decisions you know, central decisions on what how to react to that information on the ground those local areas where they're not the best people to make those decisions the people who have those problems uh, are the best people to make right. those decisions about what they need most urgently and how they want to allocate their capital do you do you research much on ai and agi asi uh not as much as I, i've been falling down the uh the uh what is it called i don't even know what it's called but the the ai transhuman Transhumanism. No, well, I know transhu- I've had Whitney Webb on the show quite a oh, bit. Yeah, we've, she's we've, great. We've dove into the uh, the transhumanism trend quite a bit. That scares me. Uh, yeah, I think it's pretty it evil. It's very hubristic in my mind. Oh, big time. Yeah, big time. Um, I, I think the world is uh, entering a time. If you just feel like we should be having more philosophical discussions right yes. now <laughs> you know, like what is life and mm-hmm. how far do we push things and uh what is the purpose and the meaning of man and of life because yeah. it's going to actually start mattering very soon oh yeah i mean i think a lot of what we're seeing is what happens when you live in a society that rejects god and i, I think there's I do believe in good and evil, and I think yeah, there's a lot of evil out there that is garnering a lot of power these days. Um, it's, um, I mean, evil, I think, by its biblical definition, is the one that makes the choice for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it will tell you how to live where good highly recommends <laughs> but allows you to make those mistakes so you grow without without any kind of um uh personal risk there's no growth no there's no growth no and we live in a in a world where uh, for some reason or another uh, risk is is not not good these days and it's yeah or not considered good. I think it's very good. Um, I think, uh, I, I think it's essential. I mean, there's, don't get me wrong as it's happening to me, I want it just to stop, Mm -hmm. but all of the bad things in my life, that's where I've learned the most. It's not in the good times, you know, and it's certainly not 
if somebody else makes the decision, I can bitch and moan and say, well, they made the decision. Oh, look what happened, of course. And it just you just become bitter against whatever. The only time that you really learn is when you're failing on a machine that you built mm-hmm. and you're going your way. And, that, and then you're like, okay, wait, 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 wait. I think I want to stop some of the pain here. Maybe I should do it this way or that way. We don't, there's, there's, we don't have the telephone without personal risk. Oh. And that's why I don't think we'll have freedom uh, in the digital age without the risk of going out there and trying to usher in this new monetary system uh, in Bitcoin that, that truly enables people to take risk. I mean, particularly in the energy sector, that's one of the places I've been most involved in on the mining side is it's insane the amount of uh, risk that entrepreneurs in the mining sector are taking and the innovation that they're bringing to the world with that risk. One example is uh, Bitcoin mining is being used as a flare mitigation technique on upstream oil and gas wells where in the Bakken down here in Texas, uh, you'll see the famous flares Mm -hmm. where since the natural gas doesn't have a pipeline to get the market, uh, they simply light it on fire and waste it. Bitcoin miners have taken capital and execution risk to invest in the uh, services wow. that will show up and reduce that flare and use it. That gas, run it through a generator, mine Bitcoin. See, that is something a centralized government will never come up with. Uh, I'd like to sometimes I like to describe Bitcoin as digital's gulch, uh, gulch mm. where you can simply. John Galt. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Galt's gulch. It's uh, that's the beauty of Bitcoin. It's open source. You don't have to wait for permission from the government to do something. You don't have to get a permit. You don't have to get a license. That drives can, me nuts. You can just show up and start building, and it's fun. It's invigorating. I, uh, you know, I talk to um, I talk to people overseas, and uh, and they'll come over here, and I'll be like, you 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 have no idea. This is not America, <laughs> and they still say, "Are you kidding me? This is still much better than any place in the world." But when did we become this group of people that uh, waited for permission? Mm -hmm. It used to be, really, you don't think I can? Okay, (laughs) I'll show you. You know, that's been the main driver in my life. You tell me I can't do something. I've pretty much guaranteed that I'm at least going to attempt it, you know. Um, And we're not that anymore. I've seen a lot of that in Bitcoin. It's uh, it's good. It's, uh, it's like the digital wildcatters. There's uh, there's like a great frontier. And that's the beauty of it too. It's in the digital space. You can build software. And yeah. Due to the mining, it's uh, in, in meat space in the physical world as well. There's so many things to build. There's so many efficiencies to be gained. And what we're finding is by becoming more efficient in our Bitcoin operations, we're actually creating efficiencies uh, in other parts of the economy, uh, whether it be payments, energy, yeah, um, uh, accounting. I remember 10, 15 years ago, I went to Silicon Valley and it was the most exciting time. You know, you, you go there and it felt like wild West America, felt like anything was possible. And, uh, it concerned me because a lot of the companies were very, very leftist and they kept saying to me, no, no, no. We don't like big government just like everybody else. We're no, we're we're very libertarian in our approach. I'm like, uh-huh. And now it's just one with big government. Yeah. You feel the wildcatters oh. are not 
No. Well, no, I, I mean, right now, certainly not. Um, individual, there's a lot of individuals like myself who um, are into Bitcoin because they don't like what the government has done to our money or freedom. Um, that's the other thing, again, going back to Bitcoin being a globally distributed network where and seeing a lot of traction in emerging markets, even if we were to become or the U.S. government was to become overbearing in terms mm -hmm. of regulations and things like that, Bitcoin would survive. Americans just wouldn't be able to reap uh, the full benefits of Bitcoin right. because of their government. Right. And then you get into the concept of jurisdictional arbitrage, where at some point, if the government becomes too overbearing and we see all these people in other parts of the world reaping the benefits of Bitcoin and we're saying, how come we can't do that? You, you have one of two options. People either get up and leave and you lose your tax base or uh, it forces changes for the government to say, okay, you guys obviously want to be more like these people over here. So we'll, we'll readjust um, our priors and, and let you experiment with this and use it freely. Most likely they'll regret not building the wall at this time <laughs> because we'll all be trying to crawl over it the other way. Marty, thank you so much. Glenn, thank you. It's I been really a pleasure. Just a reminder. I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people.